Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your show reviews, concert photos, and the latest going-ons in the rock and metal world. And with me, as always, is Daniel Terry. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Look like you were singing to Jesus there all slowly in your in your thoughts. Oh, it's called a yawn, if you've never heard of it. It's a thing that people do whenever they're tired. Uh-huh. Why would you be tired? It is uh, time for rock and metal. Well, because, I mean, you know, steel reserve lager, you know? I mean, it's... Uh, I got these new boys, these new uh, watermelon white claws. So we're like both an equal level of trash at this point as far sure. as... Uh, alcoholic beverages go we've we've sold out i'm drinking steel reserve john's drinking white claw we're making billions you guys can be jealous if you want but you know we'll just we'll just respond with pics of us just showering ourselves with money so speaking of uh selling out and showering ourselves with money uh this episode's guest is the part two of our chat with adam D'Amico of lorna shore um if you caught the first episode well welcome back um if you <laughs> It's always fun kind of doing these preemptively. We never know what's going to happen when we drop some of these. So, I, I mean, I'm still kind of on the fence of if something is going to get picked up or uh, people are going to uh, not be stoked that we, we did something with the Lorna Shore guys and, and basically didn't go like you guys fucking are terrible. Um, but I think all that aside, I think if you really listen to the last chat with Adam, um, I, I think there's obviously a separation between what one person did versus the, the collective um, and as you heard, obviously the music side of everything, it was basically Adam and Austin, uh, who recorded everything. And the interview was kind of a bit short. And so we kind of wanted to talk about Adam going through kidney stones. Um, and you know, at that point when we finally were doing the second part, the record had been out and we kind of got the preemptive, like, I, I, I hope the record does well. I hope people give it a fair shake to actually finding out that a lot of people was more than a fair shake. Yeah. As I say, over 4 million people listen to, just on, I think, Spotify or streaming in general, listen to Immortal uh, within its first week. So, uh, obviously, it lived up to the hype of being one of the most anticipated records of 2020. Dan and I both have uh, championed it, saying it's really fucking good, uh, despite it not necessarily being the genre of music we listen to a whole lot of. Um, and so I just kind of, you know, Adam, I think, was was really honest with us in the first chat, and I wanted to kind of talk a little bit more about some of the process of writing the new record. And that's what this is. Um, good, better, and different. Uh, I think that's something that we do sometimes on this podcast is give people the platform to express who they are and let you get to know who they are as people as opposed to just being a faceless entity on the Internet that you can go leave hateful comments on. Well, you know, I mean hateful comments are the lifeblood of uh of internet culture and you know you can always measure your success by the amount of hate that you get i'm starting to kind of uh experience that lately myself so it's a it's very much a true statement i mean i'm gonna go ahead and i'm pulling up the tweet right now um because sometimes you know you got to be reminded of this but uh i made a comment to ice t a while ago that you know i was listening to his podcast the final level podcast go check it out uh it's still up uh, he doesn't really do it anymore, but uh, basically there's always daily game that, that ice will drop. And uh, at one point, I, I basically, like Dan is in this situation right now where people are sending him messages of, of 
you know, not great things. And we were kind of in that boat for a little bit. And I was like, you know, I was kind of letting some haters say some things and they were getting to me. And I tried to learn from the criticism, but I also recalled an episode of uh, Final Level where basically he talks about how haters only come out when you're doing something they wish they could do. And, you know, at that point I was paraphrasing and Ice uh, subtweeted the com- subtweeted that and basically says, just remember, haters hate up. Nobody talks shit about someone below them. That's true. So from the fucking man himself, must be doing something right, Dan. Well, I'm going to be sleeping better at night knowing that. So now all we have to do is get ice on the podcast and, you know, make it official. I mean, we're trying. We're trying. With that new body count record, I... I'm, man, that new body count record's really good. I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things where I listen to the new body count record and I have to immediately turn it off to keep my house from catching fire. So... Like... I think the funny thing about that new Body Count record, too, was just like uh, on that first song, Carnivore, which is the self-titled track on the record, it literally has like the most like shitty like roar thing when he's saying carnivore like but it's just it's so I love the fact that it like it's just so tongue in cheek but it's it's serious at the same time that it just it's you're just like yeah no I fuck with this I fuck with this real hard and it's it's all great and uh, god damn it I mean Body Count's been fucking killing it and the last two records uh, this one especially Carnivore and uh, the one they did previously uh, Bloodlust uh, have been done with Will Putney which just I mean, again, again, there's the fire. Yep. Yep. And uh, I will definitely say I, I heard another Will Putney record uh, that everyone is eagerly anticipating. And uh, I won't mention who it is, um, but basically it's it sounds really good. And uh, in talking with the person that was uh, that we had on the show that's not aired yet, but uh, Will's pulling out some interesting new tricks on this. And I was like, oh, it's weird that this this was being done. And and they were like, yeah, you know, Will, Will pulled out all these like fun little tricks on some shit. So, uh, you know, even still to this day, Will's, Will's doing some magic shit with a lot of great artists. Um, so pretty much if there's ever a Will Putney anything uh, that you know of coming out, pff, fucking go, go check it out. Um, yeah, there's a lot of great, speaking of great records coming out, there are a lot of great tours being announced. Holy shit. The Faith No More Corn Tour was announced today? What the fuck? All I care about is the Napalm Death Aborted Tour. I haven't seen that one, actually, surprisingly. I I think I've been so hypnotized by everything else happening uh, in the last week, uh, tour announcement-wise. I think we should get one of the dudes from Aborted back on the show for that. I think uh, that is something that needs to happen. So it was funny. uh, As of today, uh, when the Corn Faith No More, Scars on Broadway, and 68 Tour was announced, uh, Benjamin... Ben from a uh, violent life, violent death goes. Who remember <laughs> is doing 68's uh, publicist or tour managing or whatever? Actually, here it is. Whoever manages 68 deserves an award. I have never seen a band get on so many tours that are that massive. I know, right? <laughs> and I just laugh because I was like, I mean, if you were if you were a big package tour like that and you're just trying to get like some bands out there, wouldn't you want a two man band who probably will take significantly less than a full band? Right. Also, speaking of festivals and all that kind of stuff, uh, Furnace Fest episode that we dropped seems to be doing really well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was one of those like, yeah. And I felt kind of bad for the bands that I was like, yeah, um, I'll be happy to catch their set at Furnace Fest. <laughs> you know, like uh, as, how, as lame as that was. And I was just like, well, you know what? It's probably fine. I think it's funny. We did get some uh, feedback from some people via the YouTube channel and uh comments on our social medias and so forth as a whole but i did find it was amusing that uh someone made the comments on uh youtube garrett pilot 
He says, Haste will be the band that surprises you. Well, you know, I did say that because, uh, you know, I did an episode with a very similar episode to what we did, John, uh, with uh, Brian Patton from the As the Story Grows podcast. And uh, we ended up not actually airing it because it was only in the middle of the band announcements. And like literally the next day, the re- the episode was obsolete. And uh, but what was funny about that episode is um, I didn't know anything about Haste. And uh, I thought it was a newer band called Haste, and I was like, started talking about them, and Brian's like, "Dude, are you are you stupid? <laughs> like, no, it's it's this other band." <laughs> so yeah, but that was a lot of fun. Uh, speaking of a lot of fun, let's get into my conversation with Adam of Lorna Shore, and we will talk to you when we are done with that. <laughs> So I have the uh, pleasure once again of talking to Adam from Lorna Shore, because uh, one part just wasn't enough to contain uh, all the awesomeness that is Adam and Lorna Shore's new record, Immortal, which is out now, still, uh, via Century Media Records. Uh, welcome back. Uh, we're not even a full week beyond uh, when we did the last one. Um, you know, so thanks again for coming back. Um, there's definitely a handful of questions I wanted to kind of ask you and, and kind of starting things off. Congratulations on what seems to be overwhelmingly positive success on this new record. Uh, I think the number I saw on your socials was over 4 million streams. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for having me back. I feel like uh, both you and I conversation got cut short because um, scheduling. And I feel like, you know, similar to what you said, I think there's more things that we could have talked about and I'm excited to be back. And uh, yeah, the record is doing incredibly well. Um, we also finally got our like official first week numbers in, so we are completely blown away by it. So um, yeah, I mean, so far so good. I mean, the record is being perceived like well above our expectations. So um, you know, I think everyone's really excited in the Lorna Shore camp predominantly. So, so I kind of want to touch on that a little bit. You know, like I had said, and as of when we're recording this, no one has heard the first chat yet. You know, that'll be up and probably Sunday by the time everyone's hearing this, but. Um, you know, something that was interesting to me, and, and sometimes I kind of love doing this, you know, like I, I did one with uh, Tom Smith of the Acacia Strain, and he was talking about, you know, the the weird, quote unquote, weird record they put out, the EP. And so I got to talk to him before the record was out and all of his feelings about it. And then I talked to him, you know, a couple of days after the record had come out and all the reactions to it. So adversely, you know, I think you kind of in the same situation where I talked to you and the first week numbers weren't officially out. You know, you're probably keeping track of everything. But in our conversation, you were talking about, you know, and I was talking about how you guys were basically poised for one of the bigger, most anticipated records of this early year so far. And, you know, you, you made an Instagram post or... Or a Facebook post, I can't remember which it was, but basically you made a post stating like you really hope people just give this this music the the fair shake that you feel it deserves, and that was something we kind of had touched on as well. So now you know here we are a week later, and you've kind of got some concrete proof. Does it feel rewarding to see that people are are able to kind of maybe overlook some of the things that you guys have been going through and letting the music speak for itself? Um, yeah, I mean, because uh, what we really try doing, I think, like what really I think worked and what we were doing more of and, and noticing it is that like myself and Austin was being very open and vulnerable 
and just talking about it. I think at first when situations were happening, we were just being really quiet. And I think the more we opened up about like how we felt, um, I think it resonated with more people. Um, and I, I think that especially seeing our fans still like stand behind us and like recognizing, you know, the people in the band and, and seeing the band as a whole was really awesome because they're able to listen to the record as is, as opposed to just like, you know, from a political standpoint, um, you know, whether it be like, I like this person, don't like this person, blah, 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 blah. Like able just to like listen to it from the unbiased standpoint or like a neutral place of like, this is music because realistically, like, you know, it, it is a neutral thing. It's music is coming into your headphones. There's no like right or wrong thing. And, and I think it's really been awesome that people have been able to get into that space, like right before the record came out. And, you know, uh, the more we became open about the situation and talking about it from a positive standpoint, because, you know, we easily could have, good, could have gone down the rabbit hole of being like negative. It would have, I don't think it would have generated as much like positive traction because we would be generating a lot of negativity. But since we, you know, myself and also especially, been, you know, just put, talking about like how much this record meant to us and not that it was coming from a place of like like we weren't being honest like we you know it really did mean the world to us and it was very frustrating and you know to experience everything we experienced you know since the beginning of this record like you know writing and recording this record you know i feel like it's, it's really rewarding seeing that people are seeing our art for what it truly is and as opposed to just another band so um it's been awesome to have that support because you know in in and, you know, I'd say about a month ago, we had no clue. We had no idea. And we didn't know where that was going. We, you know, believe this record's going to tank. And ironically enough, like, it did. And it's doing completely better than our last record. You know, in the day and age now where you see on, you know, various music websites, like, you know, and I'm not necessarily picking on this band, but it's one that I can think of that went through what I'm going to discuss. But it's like, you know, I remember blabbermouth and like the prp and all these sites running like suicide silences record amongst like and their thing was more like the, the shift in the the sound uh is what kind of was catching everyone off guard but you know you, you see all these articles like this band suffers you know worst opening week and the last three albums album sales down 75 percent versus the one before it or, or so on and so forth and i always think it's kind of shitty to, to see that because there's so many variables that go into a record's quote-unquote success or i don't even want to call it a failure but it is interesting because you you don't see in light of what you guys have gone through recently the opposite of that where at least as of right now when we're recording this we we haven't seen this but you just typically don't see the other side where it's like this band's record amongst all of the things that you know happened before this album came out has far exceeded the expectations laid before it and kind of you know, we talked about you guys being underdogs and all the hurdles you guys have consistently over overcome in your band's career. And I feel like this kind of speaks to that, but that's not a narrative you see a whole lot. Is that kind of frustrating to not kind of when you when you overcome these things to also be rewarded for, you know, being able to overcome them and, and kind of that whole scenario? I don't know if I'm make, that question makes sense, but um, you know, try to understand it, but I'll do the best I can to, to answer it. But yeah, I mean, you don't really see that happen that often. I think we, we, we more or less in, in the world that we live in is just pointing out bands like shortcomings and we point out like, oh, okay, this band has, was at such a high and now they've plummeted because, you know, and, and we just judge them based off of their first week numbers that we know what's going on. And we just look at the statistics of a band being like, oh, okay, well, this, this record did this and this record did this. So now they're plummeting. And we just, from that point, wrote a band off and devalued them based off of numbers, which is, I don't know, there's so many variables that go into music and music release and everything that goes on that, like, any one thing that can get out of whack, will, will, you know, could potentially ruin your release or could potentially, you know, help your release. You know, because we've seen 
albums do successfully really, really well because of the fact that they have a giant push behind them. Um, but it just, I, I think it's unfortunate that bands are getting like written off because of like a first week number and uh, written off based off of just like, uh, you know, a percentile decrease and whatnot, like as if it's like accurate. Um, I don't know. And I think it's unfair. And I also think that, um, cause I don't think it's music is like sports where we like judge someone based off of statistics. You know, like it's not like you know, it's a good for sports and baseball specifically. If you're if you have a big batting average, you know, you, you deserve to get paid more. And if you have a really bad batting average, you might like, you might get dropped from the team. I understand that because you know you're not adding much value. And of course, you can probably correlate the statistics to music as well. But nonetheless, I think that's just like an unfair advantage because like you don't know what is going on. It's unfair to them. And I would much rather see people like champion art even if it's not your art like i think that I, i'm just kind of annoyed with like blogs posting just about negativity of bands like for me i don't know if i don't like something i don't go out of my way and like post about it i'd rather like support the band the music that i like as opposed to like i don't know discounting the music i don't like i feel like it's just a waste of my energy and i would much rather see music being a music you know platforms talking about stuff they enjoy rather than like talking about shit they don't like I just feel like it's just a waste of energy, but you know, for me at least. And uh, I just feel like it, because of that, you know, we're so focused on the negativity of the music world as opposed to like the positivity a lot of the times. It's interesting, you know. I, I see a lot of that too, and and I don't know if it's an age thing, you know, being in my mid thirties where. Uh, that's kind of my min- mindset as well, or if I don't like something or it, I'm just not a fan of it, then it's like, cool, I'm just moving on with my day and it's not going to make a big deal. I'm not going to go out of my way to shit on something that admittedly I'm not even a fan of in the first place. But it is interesting to see the culture kind of changing around that. I know like when the Acacia Strain dropped their latest EP, you know, I was pleasantly surprised to see a lot of people going like, I usually don't like this band. This band has done nothing for me. I did like a couple songs. I might check out the rest of this album or I like this one song. So it is seemingly maybe changing a little bit in that regard that maybe people are not fans of something. And instead of completely shitting on it, at least giving it a chance to to be impressed by it and maybe becoming a fan of something? Uh, yeah, I will agree. I think people are a lot more open nowadays um, because as of right now, it's I think it's pretty cool to be diverse when it comes to your music. You like, I think that there was a period of time, I think a few years ago, where it was like, or maybe like, I don't know, more than a few years ago, where it was like everyone had their niche of like, I only listen to a, and I fell in that category. I was like, I only listen to European tech death. And if you're not a European tech death fan, I'm not listening to you. So I can understand that. I was in that, I was in that vein as well. And I think nowadays we're more like diverse and more more proud to be like, I like this and I like that because I don't know if it's just because the age of Spotify we're able to bounce around all over the place. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I'm noticing that more often as people are more open to it, which I think is awesome. And, you know, it'll come in time where people are being a lot more positive and responding to music in that way, as opposed to like, let me talk shit about stuff I don't enjoy. Um, which I didn't, like I said, I never got that. Like I never go on YouTube and like comment on videos that I don't like. Like I'm not a fan of, um, I don't know. Uh, a lot of bands, but I would never go out of my way watch a video and be like, I watch this, this stuff. Like, I feel like that is the <laughs> biggest waste of energy. Like, why would you, like, you want, you want me to watch the five minute video or however long the song is, and then you took the time to click on, write a comment, you write, this fucking sucks, and then you went on with your day. Like, to me, that is the biggest waste of energy. And then probably from pe- after that, you probably told your friend, I commented on a X band video and just are still in that headspace. Where wouldn't you rather go and like support, like, I like this band? I'm going to go. Not that you have to like that band, but wouldn't you rather go spend enough energy like supporting a band that you enjoy, or being open to checking out music? Because I feel like, I don't know, a lot of uh, a lot of effort goes into writing a record and to be diminished based off of like 
I don't know, not even giving something a chance is, is really disheartening because, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into writing a record and preparing for a record and preparing for a release. And, you know, it would be great for people to be open-minded. Not saying you have to like my band, but, you know, can I even give it a chance because of some incident or what you feel about it or some, like, preconceived expectation about a band? It's just, I think, just limiting and, and it's not making the metal world really, like, open and inclusive if we're just so, like, writing everyone off based off of nothing. You know, kind of speaking a little bit more to the recording process again. So something that Josh had told me about, and I wanted to hit on the last time and just never got around to it, was he was saying that, and I don't know if it was the whole recording process or not, but basically you were dealing with kidney stones the whole time. And I, as as, <laughs> as someone who's never gone through that, but like I can only imagine how terrible it is based on what all of my friends who have gone through it tells me it is, and then showing the the gross photos of the things that basically come out of their body, the kidney stones themselves. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, all they're doing a lot of times, and, and I'm not lessening what they do, but it's like, you know, these are people who probably have office jobs or whatever, and not trying to nail the perfect take on something, you know what I mean? And so it's like when they're like, oh, I had to go home, stay home today because, you know, kidney stones are so bad. You're going to the hospital and things like that. And you recorded a, re- <laughs> a record <laughs> while you had them. Yeah, okay, so I can explain the whole situation. <laughs> so um, the recording process with, with Josh is that we record from Sunday through Friday, and he gives himself off on Saturday. Um, that Friday, I finished recording um, all of the rhythm guitars, and I believe the bass guitars for all seven songs. The only other song we didn't finish was the title track, Immortal. We still had to write that song. Um, that kid, so but in the meantime, while we're still working on that song, we figured let's just track guitar and bass. So up to that Friday, I had, I think, all rhythm guitar and I believe bass done. I could be mistaken, but I know I had rhythm guitar for the other seven songs done. And then it was, okay, Friday, whatever, um, and then we did that we off on Saturday. So we're like, cool. And I made myself some food, and this was like before we left, and I was like, okay. And then I just felt like this like pain in my stomach, and I was like, oh, maybe it's just like something I eat. I made myself a burger, and it be like my stomach feels weird. And I was like, okay, maybe it's just like gas. And when when you record with Josh, you stay at his father-in-law's house, Don, and it's about like a 20-minute drive from like from his house to Don's house. And I was like sitting there like, man, my stomach really hurts. I really have to go to the bathroom. And then I got to Don's house, and I was like, oh, maybe I can probably go to the bathroom. And I'm just sitting there on the toilet, and I was like, I don't have to go to the bathroom. Like, I'm just in excruciating pain. And it's like, I don't know, maybe less than 20 degrees out, maybe 12 degrees out. I open up the window in the in the bathroom, and it's like freezing cold air. And I was laying on the floor of the bathroom like – but ass naked being like, oh my God, I'm in such excruciating pain. And then we stay in the basement. So I'm walking down the stairs as Austin walking up. He's like, yo, what's wrong? And I was like, dude, I have to go to the hospital. And then Don was like, there's an emergency room, like, um, it's like McLaren emergency room hospital, emergency room or McLaren hospital. It's like right down the road. And at that point, like I was in the car being like, I think I might die. Like I'm like looking at the street lights, being like, holy shit, like I'm going to pass out. I like run into the emergency room. I was like, please someone help me. I'm in like excruciating pain. And I'm like, what would you rate it out of a 10? And I was like, 10 out of 10, a hundred percent. They finally get me in and I just couldn't sit still. I only, only thing I was like, like relieving the pain was me like walking around. Every time I tried going to the bathroom, like nothing was coming out. And I was like, Oh my God, like this is like so painful. Like it just feels like you have to pee and you can't. And just like something just obviously stuck there. And then, uh, there, then they gave me, some saline, I think a little bit of some, something to like numb the pain. And I was like, okay. And then I kind of like got zonked. Um, so like, then I wasn't really focused on anything. And I took a CAT scan or an MRI, a CAT scan, I believe. 
And the doctor comes in, he's like, so you have kidney stones. And I was like, oh my God. So then he tells me, he was like, so anywhere between like a two to four millimeter, I believe, you have about like an 80% chance of passing it. And I was like, okay. He's like, from like 50 or from five to seven millimeters, you have about a 50% chance of passing it. And I said, okay. And he's like, anywhere up to seven, you have about a 20% chance of passing it. And I said, okay, where do I stand? He goes, you are eight millimeters. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so I was like, great. And I was like, well, how would it come out? He's like, well, I can give you some painkillers. You can go home and uh, might have to go. It was on Saturday, so you might have to go see a urologist on Monday. And I was like, okay. I didn't. I never taken painkillers before because I've never been in the emergency room or done anything like that, or never taken painkillers for outside of recreation, not for actually needing them. Um, and then the nurse told me, you can just take it right then and there. And I said, okay, not realizing you need to take it with food. And I already took it with Advil on an empty stomach. I took, uh, some painkillers. By the time I got back to the house, I started throwing up. I just threw up blood, like my entire stomach. And then all of a sudden we got rushed back, back to the emergency room. And I was like, so I had no idea what's going on. I was like, I'm not throwing up blood. I had such a pain in my stomach. Like what is going on? And then, uh, hooked me up to an IV and then finally by like four in the morning, they let me go. And, uh, before I left, I went to the bathroom and like peed, like I never did before. And I don't know if that's when I passed it because then like I had just a, like a relief in my lower back and I was like, okay, maybe that's maybe a pass. But, um, then the rest of the time in the studio, I was pretty much taking painkillers because I was like just scared of that pain coming on. Um, so it was, so basically I was getting, I was feeling really like loopy. So that's the only thing that kind of really got me through it. And then I started weaning myself on it also because I just wasn't being productive. Like I was taking a full painkiller and I couldn't focus on playing guitar. Like I had to finish the song Immortal and like that was frustrating me. Um, and I was just drinking, I don't know, a ton of water and, uh, yeah, somehow we managed to get through it. And like the, the first day we got back on Sunday when he heard, when Josh heard about it, he was like, yeah, dude, if you need to fly home, you can fly home. And I was like, dude, no, like this record is supposed to come out in the summer. You have no time after we leave. We go on a headline tour. We will not be able to get back into the studio until May. The record won't come out on time in the summer. And I was like, well, if things get bad, uh, you know, lo and behold, I can, I can fly home. I mean, we have seven songs tracked on guitar. So, you know, whenever CJ decides to come, he can do vocals. We can at least finish most of the record, at least now. Um, but, you know, as of right now, I'm staying because I was like, you know, we have a tight schedule because we were staying in the studio till March. And then we had our headline tour like three weeks later. So we had no other like wiggle room unless because the record was supposed to come out in the summer. So I stayed in the studio taking painkillers and was still fearful of having kidney stones. Um, and then when I got home, I saw my doctor and I got a, an ultrasound and they told me I didn't have any kidney stones. So I was like, awesome. But like, I was just paranoid every day because like, Whenever I felt that feeling, I was like, it was the worst feeling I've ever felt in my entire life. And uh, I was so fearful of having that because it like knocked the life out of me. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I went through the whole recording process with Kidney Stones. So I guess you'll you'll never <laughs> you'll never forget the, this record for a multitude of reasons. I guess. <laughs> I mean, literally, I, I, we were making a joke. Like me and Josh were making a joke. I was like, the song "Immortal" was the metaphorical kidney stone, and then the record after the, we finished recording the record like putting the record out was the metaphorical kidney stone because we like were then going through label changes and trying to get the record out and everything else like that like the album immortal still is the metaphorical kidney stone of the Lawrence short career 
<laughs> oh, I feel like that's a an opportunity. Maybe once this is out, and once people maybe know that more readily, uh, maybe some merch, <laughs> like a, a fun one off. No, I'm design. gonna try to like. I'm, I keep forgetting that it happened because it's basically about like honestly, pretty much about a year ago from now. Um, I think maybe like it'll be like I think a year and like next week or something like that. Um, yeah, like I kind of want to forget about that. I'm not really too stoked about that. Um, it's not something that, like, I think if anyone who's gone through it could understand my pain of being like, yeah, you wouldn't, like, joke about it because that shit sucks. Um, I Because, like, and Austin, he had one before, and he actually had to get his, like, surgically removed, and he was just, like, it, talking to me about it while I'm laying there at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning with this thing, that he was like, yeah, mine was, like, 6 millimeters, yours was 8, and I had to get mine, like, surgically removed. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? I'm laying here on this, on this fucking hospital bed at, like, 3 in the morning watching real police reruns. I was like, come on, man, you got to give me something. This is not helping, but uh, yeah, he he knows that he knew how like like painful it was, and I know how painful it was, and anyone's ever got one knows how painful it was. It's literally the worst experience I've ever had. So something else I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, with you recording with Josh out here in Michigan, you know, I kind of alluded before we were recording uh, about how I was supposed to go talk to Andrew from the Ghost Inside uh, this yesterday as of when we we're recording, but couldn't because of the weather. Um, you know, and you guys were, you're saying basically you were recording this record about a year ago. So around the same time frame, I know Josh, for anyone who doesn't know, lives out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so how did you find, cause you know, as I was telling you before, I, I kind of feel like the one word I keep kind of coming back to this record and, and kind of and listening to it is isolation and, and feeling kind of, you know, bleakness and being isolated from things. It's kind of just a vibe I keep getting. And I don't know how much of that is because I, I, I really think your cover, uh, album cover art really kind of matches the, the vibe of the record. And so I don't know how much of that has just been implanted in my head of seeing the album cover and just kind of seeing that bleakness and the isolation of literally nothing around you. But how much of that maybe was informed by being, you know, out with Josh kind of in the middle of nowhere, Michigan? Yeah. So ironically enough, it's interesting that you mentioned isolation because one of the working titles for a song we didn't use the first song that I was working on was called Isolation. Um, so that was just something that I was already feeling before that, you know, um, I think that was a song, that was the first song we were actually working on. And I was already kind of feeling isolation to begin with. Um, you know, how I write normally is by myself and just like in a room. So it's very epitome of isolation. I mean, I come from the Northeast, so winters out there are not, you know, I'm a stranger to like harsh winters. So I'm just stuck in a room in the freezing cold of, winter so like you know that that is a, a point i i don't really um when i talk about music i never think about like channeling things i don't really think that like the atmosphere kind of correlates to songs or i can't imagine it maybe it does but uh, like subconsciously but i never really consciously think about it um yeah the recording process with josh was like thankfully his studio was like really awesome and like homey because he basically turned his basement of his house into a studio um and it's just really awesome and comfortable because you have everything you need it feels like you're just recording in a house. Not like a, it doesn't feel like you're recording in like a studio. It just feels like you're re- recording in a house, obviously. But it's like super comfortable. Um, you know, you, you felt really relaxed to be there, which I feel like is a really awesome experience because, like, I think sometimes when we recorded, you feel really tense. You don't want to do anything. You feel really uncomfortable with there. Like I felt super comfortable being on the couch. Like um, his wife Sarah would bring down like food all the time, and it just like, felt like super comfortable. Like she would make like baked goods all the time, so you felt really homey. Um, you know, so it was just really really comfortable. And being there was just really awesome when you were in the studio. Um, 
the worst part about it was the drive from Josh's house to Don's house. So Josh lives in like Midland, Michigan, which basically is the middle of Michigan. And Don lives in Bay City, which is pretty much like, I think, 20 minutes down the road. Not really down the road, but 20 minutes through like what looks like the desolate farmlands. And it just, you know, it didn't go, it didn't get warmer than like 12 degrees, I don't think. And it was like below like zero at some time. And, um, you know, there were days that there was a week that we got snowed in there because Josh was like, there's no reason for you guys to drive the snowstorm back to Don's house to come back. So just sleep at the studio. So we had to spend three days sleeping at the studio because we got caught in a snowstorm. And like, for me, I like the winter. I think it's a really comfortable environment, especially to like recording because like all I wanted to do during a time of being at the studio was just work on music. So it's like, you kind of have no other option because you're not distracted by anything. Like you're in mid to Michigan, but not really much going on. We went to the Meyer. If we had time, we'd go to Buffalo Wild Wings or we would go to Applebee's. There's not really much going on because like, in other times we've recorded, We've gone to like other cities or we've recorded where we were able to go home. Like there's a lot more distraction. Whereas like there, there really wasn't much distraction. And like the same experience happened when we did the, um, the record flesh coffin that we recorded in Lancaster and there's not really much going on in Lanc- Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And what I enjoy about it is that like, it's really hard to get um, distracted. So it's just, re- you can just focus on the record. And because of the fact that like we had the time to be in the studio and you're really, really comfortable in the studio and that we had time to go away from the studio and just like spend time unwinding, it was just a really awesome process. Um, so I think it was just, it was just really nice to be like in a comfortable environment where you can stay focused on because like it would be really hard to be focused in a place that was really uncomfortable because, and that's just the main thing I noticed is like being in a studio it just felt awesome like you just felt like you're just in your own home you're comfortable you're like willing to do whatever you want to do um you feel at peace you know you're not really distracted and also because of the fact that it was also me and austin the entire time it was just only him and i so it's not like there's a bunch of people running around it was basically just me him and josh and the entire time and there was moments that it was just me and josh and i room recording guitar or i would be in the other room working on something else and you know josh set me up so i can just focus in a you know a room and writing a bunch of songs and that was really awesome. So it, it just felt really comfortable. Um, ironically enough, in the middle of winter in, you know, 12 degree weather, like, yeah, like outside it was like, uncomfortable, but like, I enjoyed that environment. I enjoyed like the bleakness and like the silence of winter. And that's why I've always been drawn to it because the fact that like, it is so calming because there's not much like running around. It just, it, it is pure isolation. And it's pure, like, I don't know, desolate. And I've always feel like you can just focus more because it's like, it's so much slower. So maybe I do channel it a little bit, but not, not like consciously, <laughs> but I do enjoy, I, I do enjoy the winter and, and like that really painted the picture better for me because of the fact that like, I don't know, like I felt like I was really encumbered by actual like winter more than I would be at home because like he lives in the middle of nowhere comparable to like where me and Austin live. So it, it really felt like you're kind of just stuck in the snowstorm. It is kind of the interesting thing about, you know, I'm from the East coast originally, not from Delaware and it was weird when I, when I moved out here and we got snow, like a decent amount of snow. And I was like, Oh fuck, no school. And my dad's like, hell no, they, they get school. They, they get snow here. So get to walk into school. And I was like, Oh fuck. And you know, now I, you know, I'd laugh when people, you know, other sh- states will shut down, you know, like thinking about Delaware would get like an inch of snow and it'd be shut down because they just can't handle it. And people don't know how to drive in it because it's not normal. And thinking about what we, you know, the states, you know, like in New York and some of the other eastern states that get hit with more of the, the normal winters and so forth. And it's just, it is interesting to see how people either tolerate it and it just becomes a, you know, part of the seasons and so forth. Like, oh, this is just something I deal with. And how some others will freak out and it just kind of cripples them in the fact that they, they can't do anything. Well, the thing is, I, I think the, the one thing I've always talked about even before, um, any of this was that like, I've always looked forward to winter because 
everything that I want to do is inside. Like, you know, I play guitar, you're meant to be inside. You know, I play video games, you're meant to be inside. You know, if I want to watch like TV and I want to unwind, I, I obviously do it inside. Cause like during the year from like March to like pretty much December, I was always working a manual labor job. I'm like working 60 hours a week. So I had no time to myself. So I was working Monday through Saturday, working, you know, 10 hours a day, like 60 hours a week, you know, anywhere from 50 to 60 hours a week, like in excruciating, like super hot weather. So like the only time I had off was like in the winter. So I always longed for the winter because that's just a time for me to just be like, cool. Finally, I can just like chill. I can just put my feet up and like not have to do shit. I'm not working outside. I'm not like busting my balls every single day. I can just come home and just chill. And like everything that I really look forward to doing when it comes to like me unwinding and like relaxing all requires me to be inside. Like I know I have a lot of friends and, and people that like to do things outside or big into nature or are big into like being outdoors and like doing summer activities or like, you know, they can't wait for the summer to so go to the beach and be outside. And I'm like, I enjoy that. But like, I used to like dread nice weather because that meant I'm busting my ass working outside. So I've always looked forward to the winter, honestly. Um, I was able to get, you know, enjoy the process with Josh's because I always look forward to that. And I'm already used to like harsh winters. Cause there were days that we were driving home and we were in a snowstorm and I'm like, okay, I know how to drive in a snowstorm. And I know tomorrow we're going to go come back in the snowstorm. It's not a big deal. So we're very used to it. I think if we grew up in areas where like we only get an inch of snow and then like the whole state is shut down then yeah, I would be freaking out and be miserable. But like, because I'm used to like, you know, we'll get a bunch of inches of snow and I'm like then later in the afternoon, the roads are perfectly fine. You can drive around it. So because I was used to that, I wasn't really threatened by like the winter because I'm used to it. And also like, you know, that's how I enjoy a lot of my time is just spending it inside in the winter because you're pretty much forced to slow down because you have less time a day. And like, you, sometimes you're just like, it's too cold out. I don't even feel like warming up my car to go outside. I'll just stay home. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, something you were saying, and I didn't know this from the last time I'm talking or really looking at your, any interviews or anything that you've done. I didn't realize this record had basically been more or less done for about a year. So something that I've always kind of found interesting is, you know, I, and I haven't really had much of an opportunity to talk about it on, on the podcast is, you know, sometimes that's the situation. Like, you know, you were, you were discussing about how, you know, we, we had a timeline of when this needed to come out because we had tours coming and this record needed to come out at this time because that's when the label wanted it and so forth. And just kind of talking about how sometimes you record a record and by the time the fans and everyone else are hearing it, you're probably already, I don't want to say over it, but you're probably already writing stuff for the next thing because it's just been that long waiting for the record to come out in quarter one or wherever someone is like, this is where it's going to have the best opportunity and where we want it to come out for the, you know, the rollout of everything else that they have in store for you. So how was it kind of? I don't know how long you really actually sat on the record, but how long, how does it feel like doing something and being like, Oh my God, this thing's fucking amazing. And then having to wait so long for it to come out. Oh, it fucking sucked. I'm going to fuck the honest thing that it really fucking sucked because so since everything was rushed because of the fact that we had to release it by the summer and we had tours coming up. So we basically got home from the studio. We had about three weeks and then we had a, a six week headline tour and then we were home in May um, and the records would come out in Summer Slaughter, which was like about like August. We're like, okay, so everything needs to get turned in really, really quickly. On top of that, because of the whole Kidney Stone incident, it kind of threw a lot of things into a loop. And because it was only me and Austin in the studio, um, I had to record solos at home. And I never really recorded basically anything on my own. I've always recorded like, you know, demos, but I never really recorded anything for like a record. 
Like I did one solo once I was on a record, but like I had all the time in the world. If I had to like write and record, I think four or five solos, um, for, you know, for the record. And I had to do that like before everything was turned in. So like I finished some of them before we went to, before we went on tour because we were playing some of the songs live and we were these other songs. So I finished some of them. I got home from tour and I like have to, they're like, you need this, this needs to get turned in by Friday. And I was like, well, good thing we have all like the mix and everything else is good. Like all we're doing is just dragging and dropping these solos into the song. So like I, you know, once I get the solos done, everything's all good to go. I mean, while we were on tour, we figured out the artwork. Um, we tried reaching out to, like, logistically reaching out to the, the, the guy, Joe, who does our videos and tried, like, setting that stuff up. Like, everything was, like, was jam-packed. And I tried to, like, maneuver everything because, like, the fact that everything's on such a tight schedule. And then, like, right when we got home from tour and we were, like, going to be like, okay, cool. Like, we're going to pay for, you know, we're going to do videos and this and the other dance. And then, like, our previous label, like, pulled the rug out on Vita. So, like, okay, like, I don't think we want to put this out you guys should find a new home. And then from that point, instead of sitting on it, getting ready to release a record, it turned into me being on the phone every day, calling labels, calling management, talking to my lawyer, talking to my old management, like stuff like that. And, and it's like, it basically just sidelined the entire record where we couldn't even do anything with it. We're just sitting on this thing where like, we don't even know this record will come out. Like Josh is in limbo because he hasn't got paid for the, the, the final release of it because the fact that the label pulled out. And it was just, everything was just up in the air. And we we're like, we have this record that we're sitting on. We have a tour in place. We're going to be on this awesome summer slaughter tour. We're going to release a record. And like, for some reason now we're just doing nothing. And there was, and everything was in, like, was stopped because of the fact that we had to like get a new label in order and then just pretty much start over again. And then that just pushed everything back. Um, and then I, you know, ironically enough, the record came out a year later and um, pretty much a year later. Or pretty much, I think the day we left to go to the studio, the record came out, um, and it was just unfortunate because like we were really hoping to like, you know, record a record in February, have our most recent current material come out in August, which has been the shortest timeline ever of like us recording material and and have it come out. Like a lot of times we record stuff and it takes months and months and months to come out. We took the two singles, "This Is Hell" and "Darkest Spawn, took months to come out. We recorded in May. The one song came out in September, and the other one came out in like January. Like, it, and we're just so tired of writing material and like it's not being current because of the fact that like you have so much time in between, like to give you a little bit of perspective, like I have four songs already written <laughs> before the record even came out. Not that that's like a big deal, but it's like, it's been so long and I've sat on these songs for so long that like I even was able to add a solo to King of Deception because we had that much time. <laughs> so it was just, something just sucks to be sitting and I'm glad that I got to do it. And I think everything worked out, for, you know, as it's supposed to and you know everything works out for a reason but like nonetheless it, it was really you know unfortunate to be to have this record that you're super proud of and by the time it came out not that you're saying you're stale with it but like after listening to it after shooting music videos for it after watching edits you know watching for editing music videos and and planning a release like you know these songs are to me a year old like i'm just like okay like now what's next yeah and that's that's the weird thing is you know i know a lot of musicians it's it's kind of just the unfortunate thing about the music industry is you know the the business side of things gets in the way of the creative and basically you stifles it because it's like you're stoked on these things but by the time everyone else is hearing it you're like dude i mean yeah i was stoked on that like eight months ago when i wrote it and recorded it and now you're just hearing it and you're stoked on it but like i'm already on to some new shit that you probably won't hear for another year anyway and it just seems like you're you right. as the band person 
it's not that you're jaded on the music that you made, but like you're always, as a creative, looking forward to the new thing that you're doing, and understandably so. But it always just seems like that's kind of the unfortunate thing about being in the music business is that like it just kind of kills the creativity at times. And you know, in thinking about that, two things, you know, something we've kind of hit on quite a bit on this podcast is you know, some bands basically just dropping shit kind of when they want to. And and was there ever a thought? Well, I guess you know. I didn't really think this one through entirely with you because you you technically owed Josh money for what he did, so that makes it a little bit harder. But mm-hmm. I was gonna say, was there ever even a thought of just kind of doing like a GoFundMe to and being like, hey, like this is the number we need to make to pay for this, and basically the fans who want it will get it, and we'll, we'll kind of figure things out. Or was it kind of always like you know we we need a label behind us because of distribution, because of all of these other intangibles that kind of go into an album release? Um, I think because of the way that the situation panned out with our previous label and our, and, and Century Media is that like we needed to get pretty much bought out of our contract and we couldn't afford that. Like there, there's no way we would have like been able to raise enough money to buy out our contract and pay for every single thing at the same time. Like it would have been just too much money, and like it would have been, it would have, we, we probably could have done it, but I don't think the record would be out by now. <laughs> so, and, and that was kind of one of the things we we're thinking of. It's like, well, and then Century came in, was like super eager, very, very interested, like because we had a thought, to be honest, we had a thought, well, we're on Summer Slaughter, like there is a chance that potentially this record won't ever come out, and there's a chance potentially like we even had the concept of like we might need to break up and start a new band, like under a new name, and like redo all this. And maybe just scratch those songs and like redo it, every, redo everything because like this this album might just be in limbo and just ex- exist in purgatory for the rest of its existence. Like that was a thought that we had. Um, I think because of the fact that right away a lot of labels, a couple labels, are interested in in us and we're just more figuring ironing out the details. I guess we never thought about like any sort of crowdfunding because it didn't come to that. But I'm sure if we didn't have any of those options, like we would have tried exploring other options. Like okay, do we just pay out? Because we have the thought process of, you know, even just paying out Josh and like, okay, cool, let's just take care of Josh. We have the money. We're, we're on tour right now. Let's just cover Josh. And then, but then it was like, well, we can't do anything with it. We can't release a song because we don't owe the rights to it because of dealing with the previous label. So it was just, it was just a mess. And uh, you know, by the time we got home from tour, um, like the end of August or September, things ironed out and like things finally like smoothed out we're like thank god because it was just like a point of like two months prior to be like this record may never come out and who knows what's gonna happen kind of slowly and wrapping up something we had talked about in the previous episode uh was basically was there ever any thought of releasing us as an instrumental and you kind of had said that you know there was the thought and there still is the thought of doing that and firstly you know since we last talked and kind of in editing that already getting it ready for to drop you know thinking about that con that idea i started wondering was there ever a thought of continuing just as an instrumental and just kind of doing this whole you know touring cycle or whatever as an instrumental and you know i brought up night versus as it is an example of why i kind of was like oh was there ever a thought of you know how you do your songwriting because of nick saying like oh we never thought of doug when writing our music and you said the same thing and i kind of was like you know night versus is a really good example of like a band that you know most everyone by the time they came into knowing who they were they've always had a vocalist but that's not how they started 
And, you know, it, it sounds mm-hmm. like obviously in doing two conversations with you now, it's you and Austin. It starts with the music. It's always right. been music. You have never really had starting this band with with a singer and it's always been the one singer, you know, throughout the whole time. And so I kind of was looking at that approach and just kind of being like, was there ever a thought of you guys just becoming an instrumental band? Um, ironically enough, the last show of the Fit for an Autopsy tour, we played as an instrumental set. Okay. Which was weird. <laughs> uh, our, our vocalist didn't want to play the show, so we were not going to bail on that. So the three of us played live. Um, I played an instrumental set, which was really awesome because I think the crowd that was there really appreciated and like enjoyed like a one-time experience of like seeing, not only hearing Warner Shore instrumentally, but like being able to see it, which was like I think really scary because like I had the mic and I was introducing songs <laughs> kind of weird, <laughs> but, uh, it was, it was a cool experience. I mean, I was like, I, I think that like we rolled with it. We made the best of the situation. I mean, thankfully it was more of like a hometown show. So we had a couple, you know, a bunch of, you know, uh, friends and family out. So it was like comforting to know that, but yeah, I mean, because we experienced that, I don't know if we would ever continue as an instrumental band because it was really uncomfortable, but nonetheless, like, you know, like anything, as you do more, you become comfortable with it. But uh, I, I think that like we would always be a band to have vocals. It's just like we, me personally, I don't really like put too much priority into vocals because like I, as a guitar player, always just gets attached to music. And I think Austin feels the same way. Like, you know, there's a lot of vocals from the scene that I really enjoy. And, you know, I think if a vocalist can excite me, like that's, that's saying a lot because like I, you know, don't ever think about vocals. If I can like tune out the music and focus on vocals, then I'm like, wow, this guy's really, really awesome. And, um, but you know, I never really think about it like that. Cause I know I the way I think about music is different than everyone else does. I mean, I know a lot of people that listen to our genre of music think about vocals, and they, you know, view it with vocals and like hear music with vocals, and that's totally awesome. And I know that like that makes sense because like some some parts that we play live, you know, when we played our instrumental set, it was really really weird without vocals. So I you know I can't deny that it it, it it has its purpose. It just we never think about it, and I always just focus on like let's just get the music to sound good. Cause if we, if we like write really, really, really good, like music it might, it makes the vocalist job so much easier. Like, it's like, it's not like he has to like navigate and like try to like, you know, put lipstick on a pig. Like we try to do our <laughs> best to be like, give you like, give him a song like on a, on a, on a silver platter. Like, here you go. Here's not that we think that, but like we do our best to be like, just try to give our vocalist the easiest job in the world. Like here, put vocals on it. I mean, maybe it's not the easiest job in the world, but from my perspective, like if the song's really, really good and something that we believe in, like, Maybe it makes your job easier. I don't know, <laughs> but but that's been our always like that's been always been our perspective. But to to think about being an instrumental band, probably not. But I think that because of the other situation, it's interesting to see like a lot of people reach out, being like, "Yo, I would really love to hear the, the album instrumental." And I'm like, "Cool. At, like, at least I know that like we're doing our job correctly. We're 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 writing music that is interesting enough without vocals. So it, it makes me feel good, whether like we exist as an instrumental band or or not, which we're not going to, but it's just awesome that like even people have that thought in their mind. Cause I know that like there's a lot of bands that I like that I would never want to listen to without vocals, even though I don't focus on vocals. It also made me wonder in light of the, the various vocals you've had vocalists you've had in your band, you know, you're kind of in a new, unique position where, you know, I'm kind of thinking and this isn't necessarily the greatest example, but I'll, I'll kind of use Dillinger escape plan, you know, like they did a record with Mike Patton. They've had obviously uh, their old, the first vocalist that they had. And then that's why they got Mike Patton on that EP to then getting uh Greg, you know, who did a really great job. 
But it was kind of interesting because you have these different iterations of, of Dillinger and different styles and all this kind of stuff. And it kind of makes me wonder, whereas some might look at the you know what you've gone through with vocalists and not keeping the same person consistently as a, I don't want to say a detriment per se, but I kind of almost look at it as like, well, I think it kind of gives you the opportunity to kind of really expand on what Lorna Shore could be because with you having di- a different vocalist, it, it keeps it fresh and changes it and keeps it, you know, just interesting at all times. And I don't know if that's something that, you know, in light of everything or maybe you've kind of been like, yeah, we'll just kind of maybe find a vocalist for, for a record or whatever. I don't think anyone would want to come on and be like, so you're going to be the vocalist for this album and this touring cycle. And then we're going to find another dude. So thanks for, you know, signing up for that. But I do think that that idea is interesting in the fact of just, it lends to such an interesting change every album cycle that maybe wouldn't be present if you had consistency. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, let's be honest though. I mean, I think if a band like Van Halen has done that with David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar and Black Sabbath has done that with Ozzy and Dio, um, I don't think Lorna Shore is impervious to that. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that's like the thing that gets into my head is that like these giant, like staple, like, like heavy music, like grandfather bands have existed and like changed monumental members. Like you're Black Sabbath, Ozzy's not in your band anymore. Ozzy's one of the most iconic people, I think, when it comes to, like, heavy music or just music in general, he's not in your band anymore. He started his own thing, and you got someone else in who's also a giant icon. And it's like, okay, if Sabbath has done that, right? If if, if, if Sabbath has done that, and then, like, you have someone like Van Halen, an enormous band like Van Halen. Um, I mean, and realistically, it's named after the guitar <laughs> player, but nonetheless, like, uh, you have Van Halen, where you have David Lee Ross, another giant, like, musical icon. He's not in the band anymore. You got Sammy Hagar. And and it's it's funny because like people like different iterations of that band, and like people have said the same thing with us. People like our some of our older music with with Tom in it, and then some people like the newer music and they prefer it, like or vice versa. And like that's cool. And I think that gives people who enjoy the band like other perspectives, as opposed to being attached to man. I wish it was like this way, but like it, it it's that's not how it's going. You know, like there's no reason to be attached to how it's supposed to be. Like because the moment you get attached to it, then you like lose interest in it. But like if you see like you're saying other possibilities, other options to be like. Yeah, because new vocalists did inspire us in a way because we're like, okay, cool, we have this new vocalist, like, he has this sound, let's try to, like, contribute to that, and, like, it's something that we want to always do and that will make sense, and that's what we did. And, like, the same thing happened again with the new vocalist, and, and I'm glad that, like, we're finding one now as we are, as I'm writing new music, because that'll, like, lend an idea, like, early on in the process as opposed to, like, finding someone as we have these songs and be like, here's these songs, like, scream on them. Because, like, we've always wanted someone that's, like, involved in the process, like, I don't know what it's like to be a vocalist. I don't know what it's like to have to, you know, do your job over music, but having someone in the room to be like, Hey, this like would be cool to have. And this would like accent something I'm trying to do. Like would be really awesome to have another set of ears on, on, on our music as opposed to just like a drummer and a guitar player. Now I love that, you know, me and Austin work well together, but like, it would be awesome to have a vocalist that's just not like here, send me the songs and I'll do my part over them. And, you know, and what gets me through a lot of these, like, member changes is that like a, like bigger bands that are a hundred times bigger than we are have gone through that and came out on top and have you know changed like monumental members like people that are like monumental to like the music world and for some reason like continue to exist or thrive or you know i'm sure people like are like grateful that they like changed the vocalist or like you know bands have changed guitar players and you know look at ozzy losing randy rhodes and he had a bunch of other great guitar players that fell you know come come after him 
and like wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for that. Not that like I'm happy to see Randy Rhodes go, but like because of that, he was you know such a monumental player that Randy was. He had a bunch of other people fill in his shoes. Like the same thing could go for any member, and it will change the music. But like sometimes it might lend the music what it actually needs. So I don't know. I'm 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 very positive when it comes to the situation now because when I think about all the stuff that's happened in the history before us, that like I don't know, it it could lend to like a, a positive growth. You know. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a, a good. Sp- place to end this conversation uh you'll have a whole week to yourself at this point <laughs> uh, with episodes um where can everyone find you and the band online um so you can find us the same place you can find everyone else uh you can i'm active on instagram so and just uh at adam Ganico, which is my name um and you can find the band at lorna shore as well as you can find the rest of members of our band which is austin archie and andrew o'connor on instagram and that's where we are the most active um Obviously, we have other social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook and and whatnot. But you know, you can find us where you find most people nowadays on the internet. Um, I would recommend listening to us on Spotify or whatever your preferred music platform is. Or if you are old school and you like to buy physical records, you can go do that at our All In store. Or I believe our Impericon store has a CD, as well as the Century Media store has it. So. There's no excuse. It doesn't matter what part of the country, part of the world you live in. You can get the record nowadays, which is awesome. But if you just want to listen to it in this 2020 era of the world we live in, you can go to Spotify and listen to it right now as you speak. Yeah, that uh, that vinyl looked really sweet. I, I get paid in a couple of days, and we'll be picking that up if there's still a variant left. Awesome. Which one are you getting? Uh, was it the the orange, the gold, yellow one? Uh, was that what it was? I, I thought it was yeah, like orange yellow. and yellow. Yeah, it's like yellow. Yeah, it's yellow. We just wanted to. We always when we have the idea to come up with like vinyl colors, we just think of what is the most not metal thing to do. <laughs> it's like yeah, bright yellow. Yeah, like our last record, we did this like sherbet pink orange white like the thing i was like yeah that definitely is not our band we're going ahead and doing it like i always try to come up with something that like doesn't fit the band so yeah the the, the yellow one definitely uh sticks out i'm also colorblind so i don't even know if it's yellow it could be gold it could be orange who knows yeah i just saw it and <laughs> thought it looked like a, a really cool like eye kind of and like you said the only other i think one of the only other bands like that that i have that's a yellow variant or even orange is uh the it dies today uh cat of choir so whatever the EP, oh, Forever Scorned EP, the double LP that they put out, yeah. that one of them is like gray and the other one's like yellow or whatever, but oh, that's it's a... Uh, I wish I could, actually like one of my metal, like real like metal bands I got into like during the era of like Asbury Dying and all that stuff. I was like, I was obsessed with it died today. Especially that, like that era. So that would be, I'd know they've seen that with that. Yeah, a lot of people don't. And I've been hit up by, <laughs> by random vinyl collectors because the unfortunate thing about Discogs is that if you put it into your collection... Uh, people can see that you have it. And so, like, I remember a while ago, I had a Misery Signals, uh, the uh, Mirrors and Controller double LP that Carl gave me for my birthday uh, at a show, like, a long time ago. And then he signed it. And then shortly, you know, I got hit up so much, like, hey, are you selling this? Are you selling this? Are you selling this? Because it was out of print. And I was like, no, no. And then someone, I woke up to a message, and someone's like, I'll give you, like, $300 for it because it was signed. And I was like, oh, okay. Because I was like, well, how, how much have I really listened to this in the last, like, two years? And no one ever gave me a number. So I was just like, yeah, I could use 300 bucks for a record I, I haven't listened to in a while. And on rare occasions, I'll get bummed that I don't still have that record. But I was like, yeah, but I probably got a tattoo or went to a show or two with that kind of money so that kind of worked out too yeah but um i'm not really much of a vinyl collector i have a couple of vinyls um the one that i'm most proud of that i didn't really realize how like rare it was going to be not rare but it was like kind of a limited press was that like necrophagist 
repressed epitaph, and it came out with like this brown like bone splatter thing. It was I don't even know what it's even called. I haven't even opened up and listened to it because it's like my favorite record of all time. And I was like, when I got it, I was like, oh cool, they have it. And I was like, oh this would be a cool color to get. And then like someone was like, you got that? And I was like, wait, it's like a big deal. And they're like, they only printed like X amount. I was like, I didn't have no idea. I just bought it because I just wanted the record because it's like my favorite like death metal record. And that's like my 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 prized possession. And then the Lorna Shore test press that I'll never sell. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, like I you know I only have like ten vinyls or whatnot. But yeah, I um Austin used to be really big in discogs, so he used to like have so many vinyl and like you know selling them, and it's just crazy that how it's for me it's really awesome how much people put value into music. Is what I realized from like that perspective is that like people are willing to spend like four times to ten times the amount that a record costs, like you know that you can buy like on CD, and are willing to spend it on vinyl, and just like really really awesome. Like people at that level appreciate music to spend that much money, and I know it's a collectible and everything, but like realistically you're spending that much money on a vinyl or someone's piece of music, which is really awesome. So that's something that I do enjoy about that culture. It, it, it's a positive I can take away from that. Yeah, one of the before I let you go. So my I bought a test press of the repressing. A, a friend of mine did the repressing of the first corn record, and as soon as I knew mm-hmm. that he was doing it, I was like, "Yo, I I need one of those test presses." And he was like, "Well, we only made ten. Five were of the unapproved uh, variants, and it's like a screen printed jacket, and it's silver, like black on silver or silver on black, whatever. And then the five that were approved were on black and gold." Uh, screen printed jacket and basically with the front album cover and so i was like yeah like whatever i don't care i need one and i was like preferably i'd like one of the gold ones because they just look cooler so then he was like hits me up one day and he's like yeah so it'll be like a couple hundred bucks like almost like 400 bucks and i was like cool i just got my taxes sent him the money but i didn't realize i had sent it somehow with my wife's email or something attached to it somehow it was like she knew so like Later that morning, she was like, what did you spend $400 on? And I was like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) She goes, did you buy a record? I was like, I did. And she goes, for $400. I was like, it's a test press. (laughs) And it's one of five. And uh, it's... It's crazy. And I was like, but like that first corn record, it's like I remember being in this, in the town I grew up in in, in, near Kalamazoo. I went to the public library and some kid was listening to it on those like jank ass, like shitty over the ear headphones that, you know, public libraries had in the early 90s. And could just hear this fucking music loud as fuck. And I was like, dude, what is that? And he was like, oh, it's this band Corn." And I was like, remember putting on the headphones and just being like, what is this? Same time, like years later, when someone would put on the first Slipknot record and put my headphone or put headphones on me. And I was like, what the fuck is this? So there are just certain albums where it's like to kind of own a piece of your, your musical you know, birth of sorts and just kind of have that keepsake of being like, I remember where I was the first time I heard the first few notes of this record and how it changed my life. Like it's can't really put a price tag on it. Now I'm trying to uh, talk myself into spending the money for a VIP upgrade. Next time I go see corn or whenever I do and get them all to sign it. And then that way I can frame it and be like, cool. So I have this thing that I'm never, ever going to listen to (laughs) and uh, get it signed and just have it be be on my walls forever to be like, yep, that's a, piece of my my upbringing basically and, and metal and getting into metal of music of my own yeah and that, that's what i've always enjoyed about like vinyl like culture and i never really appreciated until i until i was around austin who had a record um you know who was cut out the cuts of records and was like playing them is that like i think the thing i do like is like the level of appreciation that it comes into um and because of fact like when you look at your record it's like full-on commitment and i didn't experience that because, you know, I'm used to listening to music on Spotify or even a CD, or you can completely just change songs. And with a record, you know, you kind of really commit to it. 
And it's just like, wow, you really appreciate it. You must really love a record because you're willing to listen to it from front to back. Um, and I think that that's the one thing I do miss about, I don't know, about like how music was appreciated back then because you committed to listening to a record. It wasn't like driving in the car and you and you listen to 50 different songs by 50 different artists. Like you, you know, really, and, and you know, I, I, I like how technology has made music so much more accessible because I'm sure we wouldn't have been found out if it wasn't for technology. But nonetheless, I think there's a part of me that just, enjoys the idea of like what vinyl brings, which is like this music appreciation where you just basically, you would put down a vinyl and just listen to it for the sake of that, as opposed to like putting in earbuds and walking around and doing a million different chores. Like you're just sitting in one room and listening to a record. I think that just, there's something about that that I feel like I never got until I was around before that was really appreciative of vinyl. And like the fact that, like I said, people are willing to spend a piece of their childhood that much money on something like that. It just shows like how there's different sides of the spectrum of people who appreciate music and then just like kind of treat music as a background, not like one's better than the other, but like there shows, it shows like a level of commitment to like someone's craft. Like as someone who creates music, it's really, really awesome. that like that still exists out there. Yeah. Well, thanks again for taking the time and uh, hopefully we'll see around Michigan at some point. Yeah. Have to uh, hang out or whatever. And I'm sure Josh will be there looking like a WWE manager and his, his buttoned up shirt tucked into his pants. <laughs> Yeah, he has this like gray sweater that I always see him wear, and I was really excited when I saw him last year. His gray sweater on, it was sick. Um, but yeah, so it'd be awesome to see uh, Josh and, and meet you in person. And uh, I appreciate you wanting to do a part two with me because I feel like there's a lot of things that we didn't get to discuss, and I'm really grateful that we got to do it on this episode. Yeah, same. Well, uh, I'll let you know when everything drops, and uh, like I said, looking forward to catching you guys next time you guys are through. Yeah, and I'm awesome, and I'm going to actually see, I believe, Tom tonight. Tom Smith, we both live in the same town in North Carolina. So, and he met, he texted me about you. He was like, oh, quite, you're uh, doing this podcast. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's kind of interesting that our worlds are intersecting in so many different ways. <laughs> well, uh, slap him on the back for me because uh, he just got his back tattooed. I, so, and I always was telling him about how everyone will inevitably hit you where your tattoo is, even if they never touch you. So, tell him that, right. do that, <laughs> and then just tell him it was for me. <laughs> you got it. Well, thank you very much. Oh, take care, man. So, that wraps up. Part two of my conversation with Adam of Lorna Shore. Immortal is out now. Go pick it up. Um, I did see the tab tablature book for the record uh, also is being dropped. Adam posted that on his socials. Um, I mean, if you can play along with that, congratulations. Uh, you're a fucking badass because that's some, that's some playing. I mean, that's the dream, right? I mean, can you imagine, like, millions of streams of the podcast? No. <laughs> I mean, just imagine that. <laughs> no, do you remember? Do you remember like one day when the podcast like got like overnight had like six hundred downloads on something, and and like we we hadn't dropped an episode. Like it, we were like toward the end of like basically when like we sh- we were getting ready to drop a new episode, and I I <laughs> sent you a message. And I go, what happened? <laughs> yeah. Like why do we get why do we almost get a thousand downloads overnight? I was like, did someone die that we just recently <laughs> interviewed? I know that that's still a big mystery to me, uh, even this day. But like it's it's funny to me just how like. I almost take for granted when we're like, hey, you know, your record's doing really, really well. And whenever I say that, like, I'm acting like I relate to them as far as the success goes. But, like, I can't relate. Like, I've never had more, you know, I've never had a million anything ever, you know, uh, except for Hard Knocks. Um, But, you know, like, it's funny that, you know, we're like, yeah, how does that make you feel? It's like, yeah, it's good, man. And I'm like, really? 
Is that is that it? I'd be like, just feels good. I'd be like driving down the down the road, blasting my new record and telling everybody how great it is. Hey everyone, come look how great I am. <laughs> yeah, I mean, granted, we all we all do know that you know a, a successful method of marketing is not to continuously spam people, you know. But you know, weird. Uh, yeah, super weird. Yeah, you know, uh, spamming aside. Um, I really, like I said, wanted to give uh, Adam a huge thanks and shout out uh, for taking the time to talk to us again. Uh, basically, like this was unplanned. Basically, we I hit him up was like, oh, I'd love to do another part eventually, um, and he, he came through. So um, huge thanks to him. Hopefully, you guys uh, took something away from this Lorna Shore record. Uh, you know, sometimes I think with some of these more aggressive bands, but some people might think it's just noise. But I, I think sometimes in doing some of these interviews with some of these more. Uh, musicians from more aggressive bands i'd like to kind of showcase that like no there's actual thought that goes into these things and a backstory and and (laughs) that kidney stone story holy shit i i mean it was hard not to laugh because it is funny knowing that he's fine now but i'm sure under the circumstances it probably was like just when he's like i was like naked with the window open in the bathroom on the floor and it's just like that's amusing because like i've been there but like usually because i'm way drunk and i need to pat like i need to throw up or something (laughs) uh not because I have like stones coming out of my urethra, so it's a uh, it's not fun. It's a thing. It's not a fun experience. Yeah. Speaking of things, kind of uh, up Dan and I's alley, nostalgia and all that kind of stuff. Uh, did you see Eighteen Visions re-released uh, Vanity today? Yes. Yeah, I can't have my phone on me at work, so when I finally saw that on Facebook when James posted it, I was like, "Cool, the variant I want is already sold out. Awesome." Yep, that's kind of frustrating, but. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, maybe they'll do another pressing. And then, like, James already addressed that. It was like, nope, probably not. <laughs> I was like, okay, I need to get this pressing here pretty soon, hopefully before it sells out. Yeah, it's it's a little frustrating, but at the same time, like, it's fine. Like, I, it's hard for me as a vinyl collector to be in a world of other vinyl collectors right now because for years it didn't matter. Like, it was relatively easy to find stuff on vinyl because, you know, there wasn't a demand for it. But now we're living in a world where, like, if you don't jump on something at midnight when it goes live, you're going to miss it. Well, it was one of the things I honestly thought it was going to be a new record. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think they were re-recording some of those songs. Yeah. I thought it was cool though. Yeah. I'm excited to, uh, hopefully the band keeps touring, uh, in whatever fashion they can. But, um, I mean, I've already seen the lineup since they came back, but I I would like to see something not as far as me having to go to LA to go see it. But, uh, sure. Um, yeah, in the, the music world, uh, per, per my world, maybe, um, a lot of news was made, uh, last day or so, uh, as of when we're recording, um, Amy Nicole has passed away. She, for a lot of people, uh, was known as Drew Carey's fiance. Yeah. Yeah. That's really sad. I just read that before we went on. And uh, I know her from the fact that she dated my friend Chad of Wilson. Uh, they dated for a while. And it's been kind of weird because Doc Coyle posted uh, a photo of them, and it was actually the photo that Chad was in as well. So I've seen a lot of photos of her very recently. And, and you know, I know I never – I don't think I met her uh, personally. Um I I might have in passing and, and just don't really remember. I mean, a lot of the times when you go to some of these shows and you're seeing your friends, it's just kind of all a blur of, uh, hey, this is so-and-so. Oh, okay, okay, you know, whatever. And sure. then, you know, you meet for like 10 seconds and then on to the next person. Um, but to see the impact that she obviously had on a lot of people I, I call friends, 
uh, in the industry. You know, Doc Coyle being one of them. Chad, obviously, and I go way back. Um, it's it's one of those things where it, it's just a senseless tragedy. Um, I think something, sadly, uh, that has been present on this podcast for the beginning of this year is just, you know, death being a constant part of uh, my life uh, this, this first couple of weeks of the year. And uh, condolences to anybody that knew her. Um, by all accounts, everyone that she ever came into contact with or spent any time with uh, obviously seemed to be a, a beacon of light and inspiration to a lot of people. So, um these things don't have to happen on a bigger scale. Uh, another reason this kind of really touched home for me um, when this happened, uh, I'm not going to go into details, but basically a really close friend uh, was attacked uh, this past weekend. Um, and it just, you know, from a stranger, we don't know who did this. Um, and it's one of those where this same thing could have kind of happened. Um, I've, have a couple of friends who have been in these kind of scenarios and thank God nothing happened to them. But it's just a, a reminder that sometimes really shitty things happen to really awesome people. Um, so in the event that, uh, you know, any of those guys or any of these people that are, you know, know her or knew her or whatever, or going through some shit. Uh, if you, if you have a friend who is potentially in any of those kind of things, ask them for help. Uh, if they need help, ask them if they need help, get them help. Um, because, you know, it just is always tragic when, when things that are e that can be avoided could be. Um, so just kind of wanted to say that. Um, I know it's kind of a somber way to start ending this podcast, but um, it's it's been pretty present on most of my social media the last few days. And it's uh, it's a shame that it, it didn't have to happen. Absolutely, man. It's It's messed up how things have been going in the world. Yeah, yeah. I know um, it's really a generalized statement to say, but, like, I mean... In my mind, it's one of those I can either focus on the negativity or I can try to try to make a positive change in my own life starting out, you know? Uh, yeah. It's funny you say it like that. Uh, one of the next episodes we're putting out is going to be with Andrew from The Ghost Inside, and uh, we definitely talk about <laughs> overcoming adversities and so forth uh, and focusing on the positives in a really negative situation. Um, so excited to get that out with you. Uh, that was a really good time. Uh, so as we wrap this episode up, if you would like to keep up with uh, Lorna Shore, very simple. Head to Lorna Shore, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's all easy. Uh, if you would like to follow Adam, follow him on Instagram, Adam D'Amico. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, Metal Nexus, if you'd like to keep up with them, MetalNexus.net, Metal Nexus on Facebook, Metal.Nexus on Instagram, and Metal underscore Nexus on Twitter. And uh, Dan will tell you where he can be found. Well, I can be found on Facebook, on Facebook.com slash... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, just search for Daniel Terry. I'm sure I'll pop up. And uh, you, you can tell it's me because of the curly hair and the brutally speaking uh, thing on my About page. So uh, apparently it's my full-time job, according to Facebook. And um, which I'm sure John's going to you know, have some conversations with me about attendance. Uh, but... Uh, on top of that, you can find me on Twitter at DiscussMetalDan. You can send me an email at DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com. And you can find out a whole bunch about my other podcasts at DiscussMetal.com. Yeah, go check them out. They, uh, Discuss Metal as a whole, as a brand, has been doing a lot of different shit between Movie Mosh. Uh, you're now introducing Band versus Band, so like a cage match of sorts. You got Patreons. You got you guys got like a whole fucking slew of shit over there that I, I even I don't think I can keep up with. <laughs> It's a lot, man. It's a lot. But, uh, you know, I do it all for the fame. So there you go. 
There you go. And uh, if you would like to keep up with all things going on over here, simple enough, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at BrewSpeakPod. Email us at BrutallySpeaking at gmail.com. If you would like to check us out on YouTube, go ahead. We have uh, plenty of content over there. We got some videos where they apply. And uh, Patreon, I know I just kind of mentioned it. You can head over there, patreon.com slash BrewSpeakPod. If what we do here isn't enough, we have a couple of bonus episodes. Yeah, if you liked the Furnace Fest episode that we just did, the Patreon stuff is all just that. Just me and John talking about a topic. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, coincidentally, actually, I saw that High Fidelity now is a TV show, since that was something we talked about on one of the last Patreons we did. Yeah, it's on Hulu, I guess. So I'm going to check it out. I, I don't know how well it is, so it, don't don't email us saying that you hate it and you you know, hate me because I recommended it. I don't know how good it is. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't make it. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Patreon, check that out. Pins. We got pins. If you would like a pin, $15 gets you one shipped anywhere here in the U S if you would like one anywhere else outside of the U S let us know. We'll try to work something out. Teespring. Uh, there's a Teespring page, brew speak pod, check it out, buy some shirts, coffee mugs, all the fucking things you could ever want our logo on. They exist over there. My wife's got a pair of the leggings. They're super comfortable, according to her. Uh, The print actually looks really fucking good. So head over there, buy some shit, support us. I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, if you would like to support us non-monetarily, you could head over to iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to this podcast at. Hit subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, If you leave us a review, we will read it here on the show, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, We will read it out loud and give you credit for whatever you write. So how's that for an extra incentive? Sponsors, if you would like some delicious coffee, head over to TheBeanBastard.com, get you some delicious coffee. Facebook and Instagram, at TheBeanBastard. On Point Palmade, beard and hair care products, if you like pomade. Well, actually, you saw that Andrew from The Ghost Inside loves his pomade. He does. And Seven Angels, Seven Plagues. But yeah, so uh, Andrew has his, he, you know, keeping his hair looking good. He doesn't have a beard. I don't have a beard. So, uh, but the beard oil apparently is really great too. I, I definitely need some beard oil for sure. I have one bottle left, so I will send one over to you. Our contest winners have already posted uh, their prizes. And uh, thank you again to uh, Matt and Ross for uh, doing such and supporting us means a lot. So head on over to onpointpalmate.com. Use the code BSP15. Take 15% off your total order. Let them know that we are sending you there. Support them for supporting us and uh, be greatly appreciated. On Point Palmate on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well if you would like to keep up with all things going on with them. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. And we will talk to you all next time.